You came back. Whatever drew you back to this void of suffocating darkness that has become my prison. Thank you. These dreams, these stories, telling them seems to be the only way to relieve the weight of this hungry, eternal night. Can you hear? I can hear whispers out there in the lightless mist. Human, I think. Or what used to be. And so very many. A concerto of lost voices. The whole lifespan of humankind whispering their memories into the dark. Are they like me? Are they spinning stories of fear? to earn their brief respite from the crushing night. I dreamed again last night. A story of a woman, defeated by time, terrified of what waited for her out in the wood. Let me tell you. Let me share her story. Dark Figments, written and performed by James Farwell. Episode 2 Nightingale Get the extended edition of this episode, show notes and bonus content at jamesfarwood.com They had said today, hadn't they? She was sure they had, but the days meant so much less now. Christine stepped outside her door, keeping her hand on the frame as her slippered feet slid a little on the mulch. She craned her neck, but she knew she couldn't see down the lane from her garden. She looked behind her at the cottage. Maybe she could just pop over to the orchard, just for a moment, to see if they were coming. He wouldn't mind, surely. She hesitated for a moment on the doorstep. It was cold, but bearable. She could just pop over. She clicked the latch and stepped out into the garden. Eighty-one winters had taken their toll on her knees, but there was no way she'd start using a stick or, God forbid, a zimmer frame. It's not as if she could go anywhere anyway. She shuffled along the garden path, checked the road for traffic, though it rarely came to her remote pocket of the world and crossed into the orchard. The hedge was low here, so she could see all the way down the hill until the road turned into the woods. That very last spot you could see someone on their way out of the village before they vanished from sight. A bird swept overhead and landed on the naked branch of the closest apple tree. Its brown feathers made it blend into the winter bark especially as Christine didn't have her glasses on, but she knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was a nightingale. She took a step back. I'm... I'm sorry, she stammered, feeling along the top of the hedge for the gap that led back to the road. I was just looking. The nightingale watched her, its head cocked to the side, its black eyes steady and expressionless. I'll go back. I'm sorry. Christine turned and hurried back across the road. 
The knocking made her jump. Jarring, vicious thumps that rolled around the inside of the tiny cottage, rattling the walls and rocking the porcelain. Christine pulled herself up from the chair by the fire. The chair now had arms, and the fire was now electric, both annoying signposts to her increasing age and helplessness. She hated them, but she needed them, and she hated that she needed them. There was nowhere else in the house she could properly get warm. Nan! A woman's voice was coming through the door. Old Granny Merton! The man's voice was substantially louder. Cheeky bugger, Christine muttered to herself as she walked over to the door and opened it. Then, just to make sure he'd heard it, You cheeky bugger! Jack was grinning. Jack was always grinning. Liz stepped inside and gave her Nan a hug. Hi, Nan, she said, twisting sideways to make herself more comfortable. My, oh my, you are coming along nicely, Christine said, taking a step back to admire the bump where her great-grandchild was preparing to enter the world. Yep, wide load coming through, Jack said, sweeping his grandmother into a mockery of a dance hold and spinning her around. Oh, get off, you great numpty, Christine protested half-heartedly before breaking into a coughing fit. Liz led her away from Jack, standing between them protectively. You still haven't got that scene to, have you? she asked, helping Christine down onto the settee. Well, they don't do as many house calls as they used to, Christine protested once the coughing had mostly passed. And I'm all right when I don't have to deal with my idiot grandson. You, dear matriarch emeritus, love it said Jack, flinging his coat onto the back of the sofa and leaping over the back of it to sit next to his grandmother. It's just getting old, Christine said, ignoring him. It's the price we pay for daring to live such a long time. She looked around. No Paul today? Oh, no, you scared him off last time, Jack interrupted. You can't cope with the latent sexual tension between you. Christine shook her head at Liz, trying to suppress a smile. Such a pillock. He's working until six, Liz said, attempting patience. Then we're all going to Mum's for New Year's Eve. You should come. And how's his little girl coming along? Christine asked, gently placing her hand on Liz's baby bump. Energetically, Liz said sitting back in her chair and taking a deep breath. And the pregnancy seems to have damaged her dress sense, Jack added, gesturing towards his sister. Here we have the classic Christmas stocking look, fresh off the catwalks of Santa's grotto. It's comfortable, Liz retorted, pulling her sweater dress down over her belly. And so colourful, Christine said. I think it's wonderful. You wouldn't want to dress like a normal person, would you? Jack let out an uncontrolled laugh. Nan, Liz protested. Oh, no, dear. I mean like the boring people. You you wouldn't want to look like them. You should consider a career as a diplomat, Jack said, 
scooting forward and ravaging the plate of biscuits on the coffee table. Once you've finished playing Bond villain out here in your isolated base of evil. He swiped at his phone as he sat back with a mouthful of cookie. Christine turned back to Liz. I have no idea what he's talking about most of the time. You're not missing much, Liz said. How are you anyway, idiot boy? Christine asked, but it was Liz who answered. Same as ever. Always connected and never committed. Christine made an audible tut. You're thirty years old. Why aren't you married? Jack shot a look at his sister. He's just not found the right homo sapien yet, Liz said, drawing out her words with a wicked smile on her lips. Jack turned up the intensity of his glare until he was almost twitching. Well, she's out there somewhere, Christine continued, oblivious. You've just got to get out there and find her. Nan's right, Jack, Liz said. Out is exactly where you should be. Shall I get the kettle on? Jack said, jumping to his feet and clapping his hands together for extra emphasis. Oh, tea, please, Christine said. Do you know where the tea bags are? Yes, Nan. And do you know where the kettle is? Nan, your kitchen is about three feet square. I'm sure I'll manage. Jack hurried into the next room. Liz pushed herself to her feet and moved to sit next to her grandmother on the sofa. You should come with us to Mum's tonight, Liz tried again. Christine's face tightened slightly and she looked away towards the window. Oh, I don't think so, love. I'm not really feeling up to it today. Liz reached over and took Christine's hand. Nan, you have to go out sometimes. It's not good for you just to be here all the time. And what's wrong with here? Christine replied, the edge of her voice sharpening. This is my home. I can't rush around all over the place anymore. You don't know what it's like because you're thirty whatever you are. Liz snorted and made a broad circular motion over her hefty belly. Oh yes, because it's so easy for me to go rushing around, she said. You're not housebound, Nan. You can walk fine. We're only talking about walking to the car and into the house. Christine snatched her hand back and tried to heave herself up off the sofa which he utterly failed to do until the third attempt. You see, you kids don't have any idea what it's like. And I don't sit on the sofa for a very good reason. And I don't go out for a very good reason. She crossed over to the window and twisted to look upwards, as if she were checking for rain. Liz made her own attempt at lurching up off the sofa, thought about saying something, decided against it and followed Jack into the kitchen. Jack was delicately arranging and rearranging triangular tea bags in three warm china cups. God, she's so stubborn, Liz said in enough of a whisper to keep their conversation private. She didn't even consider it. Did you expect her to? Jack said, not taking his eyes off his teacup arrangement. What's really stubborn is this kettle. I turned it on back in the Middle Ages and it's still as cold as Santa's scrotum. She's just afraid of anything that she doesn't do every day. 
She hasn't been out of this house in years. Sometimes I wish Mr Potter next door wasn't so generous with his shopping time. Then at least she'd be forced to go out once a week. Lilibet, Lilibet, Jack said, turning to her while the kettle still gave only the vaguest tease of coming to the boil. It's not worth the fight. You know it isn't. You knew it wasn't before we even arrived. You knew it wasn't last year when you asked her. But it's not fair on Mum, Liz tried. I mean, when did Lan even see her last? She won't go and see her and she's made it very clear that she doesn't want her here. I'm fed up having to pander to her selfishness. Jack leaned back against the kitchen counter. This is one of those arguments you've already had in your head, isn't it? Do I even need to be here? Liz rolled her eyes. Jack, just back me up on this, for once, please. It would mean the world to Mum. Even if Nan doesn't care about her, she cares about us. We can persuade her if we do it together. The kettle finally approached boiling point, and Jack turned away to pour the tea. Oh, do come along, Elizabeth, he continued, doing a passable imitation of their father. Look around this pint-sized pensioner paradise. You can barely see the walls they're covered in so many family photos. And some paintings of pheasants, for some reason. But Mother Dear is definitely winning the battle for wall space. She's everywhere. Nan loves the crap out of her. And where's Grandad, eh? Nope, no room for you, beloved husband. Our daughter needs this space to shine. Jack finished with a feeble, one-sided jazz hand. Liz sighed. As much as she liked disagreeing with her little brother, he had a point. Even though the cottage didn't have huge stretches of wall space to start with, almost every available inch had been turned into a family gallery, stuffed between chequered curtains, the fleur-de-lis patterned sofa, and the peculiar shelf that circled the room near the ceiling, far too high for Christine to reach any more. And almost all of them showed frozen moments of Janet Merton, later Janet Paston. Scenes told the story of the earliest days of blubbing babyhood, then of growing up with her brother and father, both of whom had died before Liz had been born, then her wedding photos, then holding baby Elizabeth, and later baby Jack. So why wouldn't Nan see her daughter? It made no sense. You're doing that interior monologue thing in your head? Jack asked, waving a cup of tea under his sister's nose. Liz sighed again and took the cup. Come on, let's go talk to her. But Christine wasn't there. Well, she hasn't had time to go upstairs, Jack said, unconcerned, wafting the tea around the room as if the aroma might tempt Christine out of hiding. If she gave up her vanity and got that stair lift, then maybe, then she'd be up there like a rocket. Well, she's not going to have left the house, is she? Liz asked, pushing the door to the downstairs bathroom open with her foot and finding it empty. Eh, Udini hasn't gone far, Jack said, his head stuck between the curtains of the rear window. End of the garden, range about 30 feet, speed one thousandth of a mile per hour. Liz pushed past him and yanked the back door open, ignoring his protest about spilling tea. 
she marched after her grandmother, following the path they had built between two raised flower beds that were now gone to ruin. Christine was holding the back fence, looking out towards the woods. Nan, don't just run off like that, Liz chided, more angry than she wanted to let on. We were worried. You could have fallen. I live here. This is my house, Christine answered brusquely, not turning to look at Liz. I'll go where I like. Liz moved up, taking a couple of breaths to numb her instinct to snap at the infuriating old woman. She made a show of resting her hand on her grandmother's back instead. Nobody's saying you can't, Nan, she said, but even to her own ears her voice sounded sharp. We just want to make sure we know where you are. I'm here, Christine said, but she didn't seem to be in the same conversation as her granddaughter. She stared out into the wood. I'm always here. I always have to be here. The world's not that bad, Liz said with a conciliatory smile. She pushed a little harder. We'd love to have you come out in it and be with us sometimes. Christine tensed her shoulders and jerked away, holding the top of the fence as though her life depended on it. I'm not leaving my house, she shouted, her sudden ferocity making Liz jump. I'm not leaving my house, she repeated, calling out into the wood. Nan, it's all right, Liz comforted her, unnerved by Christine's sudden anger. It's okay, you don't have to go anywhere if you don't want to. A moment passed, while Christine swayed against the fence, her eyes on the trees. Let's go back inside and have some tea. Liz immediately realised what she'd said. If you want to, that is. Christine finally turned to look at her granddaughter. Her eyes were red. She let her head sink into a resigned nod and reached out for Liz's arm. You think I'm a foolish old woman who's scared of the whole world, she said as they started to make their way back up the path. But I'm not... I'm not scared. I made a promise. I can't leave. It's the birds. She hesitated, looking back towards the woods. The nightingales. Liz gently encouraged her to keep moving towards the house. I don't understand now. What do you mean? They watch me, Christine replied. They're always there. They'd know if I left. Liz didn't know what to say, so she just said, It's okay, Nan. They walked in silence for a minute. Jack was waiting at the back door, tea in hand, and a stupid grin on his face as if his head couldn't keep his next side-splitting joke contained a moment longer. Liz shook her head at him, hoping the expression on her face would communicate the mood To his credit, Jack dialed back the grin to about two-thirds of its previous stupidity. Unfortunately, he still greeted Christine with, What's up, old cock? Ready for your tea? Christine looked behind her again, before stepping into the house and wiping her slippers absent-mindedly on the mat. I just want it in my chair, 
she mumbled, moving past Jack without looking at him. Jack raised one eyebrow at Liz and whispered, That's the title of her steamy autobiography. Jack, Liz chided, but Christine didn't show any signs that she'd heard. She followed her grandmother through to her sitting room and placed the cup of tea on the table next to her chair by the fire. Christine lowered herself into the seat and stayed there, slumped and motionless, staring into the orange flickering lights that only vaguely resembled a real fire. Liz moved back across to her brother, pulling him by the elbow back towards the door in an effort to speak in private. I'm really worried about her, she said, keeping her voice low. I think she's having some sort of episode. Christine had started to shout. These weren't the grumpy barbs from the garden. She was distressed. You two have to go now, she was saying, turning her head to the wall and pulling her blanket up to her neck. I'm tired, it's all. This is all too much. I'm I'm tired. I'm tired. Nan, what's wrong? Liz asked, moving across the lounge, her hands gently shielding her belly as she squeezed past the sofa. What is it? Nothing. I said I'm just tired, Christine protested, her breaking voice undermining her defiance. She flapped a hand in their direction. Just go. I'm fine. Jack was hovering behind the sofa, awkwardly holding two cups of tea in his hand and looking a bit pathetic. Liz knew he'd be no help. She knelt by her grandmother, with only a slight groan of discomfort as she descended. Nan, what's upset you? I don't know, Christine said, head still turned to the wall to hide her tears. Liz reached into her grandmother's lap to take her hand. I think you do know she said softly. You can tell us. Her sentence trailed off as she felt the hard edge of a photo frame obscured by the folds of the blanket. Christine grasped it as Liz tried to pull it out, but but she didn't have much fight in her. No, it's just silly, she protested. It's not silly, Nan, Liz told her. It's upsetting you. The photo was old, that uniquely faded 70s colour that somehow made it look older than black and white photos from decades before. You miss Grandad, Liz said, not really asking. But Christine's eyes suddenly sharpened. It was never the same. He, he thought it was my fault and so he left me. He left me here on my own. She wiped her cheeks with the sleeve of her cardigan. Liz looked over at Jack, who stood there mute, then back to her grandmother. Nan, Grandad didn't leave you. There was a crash, remember? Back in 84. Christine rolled her eyes and shoved herself to her feet, the blanket falling to the floor and annoying her by wrapping around her feet. For heaven's sake, girl, I'm not completely feeble. That man... Never got so much as a scratch on his car in 30 years of driving. How does a man, a man who drove every day for a living, a man is still in the prime of his life, how 
How how does a man like that suddenly lose control of his car on an empty road in the middle of the day? Christine finally managed to kick the blanket off and marched over to the front door, pulling the bolt back. It was never the same. He left me here. Liz didn't know what to say. So she took her time, heaving herself to her feet and placing the photograph carefully on the mantelpiece. Jack seemed to think that she was getting ready to leave, so he returned the tea to the kitchen and stayed hovering uncomfortably in the doorway. It was never the same, Liz said, after Uncle Arthur. Christine recoiled as if she'd been slapped. Don't call him that, she snapped, her anger immediately giving way to sadness. He wasn't your uncle. He never got the chance. Nan, I can't imagine what it's like to lose a child. Liz started again, walking across to comfort her grandmother, but a twinge in her belly made her seek refuge on the arm of the sofa. But it doesn't mean Grandad did that on purpose. What happened? Jack said out of nowhere. Liz was about to tell him it wasn't the time to bring it up when he continued, I mean, I know Arthur was in the Navy. I know he didn't come back, but he started to trail off. Liz didn't give Christine the chance to start reliving it. It was the Falklands, Jack, was all she said, hoping her brother would take the hint and shut up. You children, you don't understand, Christine said, not accusatory, but with a terrible sadness that hurt Liz's heart. It's all just history to you. It's all just an old story from before you were even born. In an alarmingly quick motion, Christine slid down the door and thumped into a sitting position on the floor. Liz and Jack both rushed over and knelt beside her, but she didn't show any signs of injury or wanting to be helped up. They say that boys always cry out for their mothers when something terrible like that happens, Christine continued, staring blankly out of the window. Even great big grown-up men, they say, when they hurt so badly, they feel in their heart they're going to die. It's not God they pray to. They call for their mothers. And my Arthur, he was so young and so far away. And I can't help but think that when it happened, when his ship was burning and there were all the screams and alarms, that he must have been so frightened. But I know... She paused, her face creasing up. I know Arthur would never have called out for me. Nan, why would you say that? Liz asked. Christine was beyond listening, but she stretched her arms out towards the back of the sofa, far too far away for her to reach. Liz caught Jack's eye, and they took the opportunity to help Christine back to her feet. Why? she shouted, breaking free from them and forcing her way across the lounge through sheer will dragging herself from support to support, the sofa to the bookshelf to the mantelpiece. She continued her tirade, 
her eyes fixed on the photograph of her husband Thomas propped up there. Why did he have to be like you? Filling his head with stories of war and being a hero and protecting people. All he ever wanted to do was go walking with his dad so he could hear more stories. Or go to bed early so you could tell him just one more tale of fighting and soldiers. She turned to look at Liz. She wasn't crying. Liz really would have preferred her to be crying. Upset, she could comfort. This... She didn't know what to do with this. What little boy actually wants to go to bed early? Christine asked. And all for stories of men who murder and die because someone tells them to. Why do we lie to our children? Nan, come and talk to Mum, Liz said, stretching her shoulders back and resting her hands in the small of her tired back. Arthur was her brother. It might help both of you. I'm not going nearer. I should never have had children, Christine said, slumping back down into her chair. It's not Mum's fault, Nan, Liz protested, her temper rising suddenly. You can't blame her for what happened to Arthur. Christine looked incredulous. Blame her? Now there were tears. How can you not? She flailed her hands towards Liz's belly bump. She's my girl. She's my precious girl. I'm not going to hurt her. Liz was thrown off track. What? Of course you're not going to hurt her, Nan. Nobody's saying you would. That's the only way you're hurting Mum is by cutting her out of your life. Why won't you at least let her come and see you here? You don't even have to go out. Leave me alone. You don't understand. Christine said, flapping her granddaughter away with her hands. I'm trying to understand, Liz persisted, her temper frayed and her voice louder than she intended. Just talk to me properly and tell me what's actually the problem. Jack stepped up to her shoulder. It's not your fault, Nan, he said calmly. What happened to Uncle Arthur? It's, it's not your fault. Christine looked at Jack, her cheeks wet, her mouth half open in a stalled protest. You... you don't understand, she managed, but the confrontational tone had evaporated. I understand this, Jack said, kneeling beside Christine's chair and holding out another photo. Liz hadn't seen him take it off the wall. It showed three rows of young men. The blues of their ratings uniforms blurred together in the faded old print. White flat-topped hats and bright blue flap collars framed young, confident faces. Just look how proud he is, Jack continued. A young Arthur, marked with a small pencil arrow on the photo border, stood in the second row, chest puffed out above the men sat in front, clearly desperate to break into a grin despite the formality of the photograph. Just look at him, Nan, Jack said. He was so happy. He was part of something bigger than himself. He pointed to Arthur. There's no way a man with this daftly happy face ever blamed you for anything, 
let alone for letting him live his dream. Christine stared into the photograph, her mind disappearing into the past. You can't tell children, she said. You try to do what's best for them, but you can't tell them. He wanted to be like his dad so much. Just talking about the Navy made his face light up. I mean, he would just beam. But... She paused, uncertain of whether to continue. But his dad didn't want him to go. He didn't want him to join up. He said Arthur talked about it like it was a club. That if he didn't understand all the... Uh, yeah, the things, uh, the implications, that he shouldn't join up until he understood it. She gripped her blanket. But you can't tell children. Arthur wanted it so much. Every time we talked, I could see how much he wanted it. So I talked Thomas into letting him go. There was a hollowness to Christine's voice now a pain so well-trodden it had worn through. You should have seen him that morning, when he left to go to his training. He kept kissing me, (laughs) made my cheeks sore. He kept saying thank you. His dad and I watched him from the orchard over the road, watched him all the way down the lane, those heavy bags over his shoulders. But they didn't slow him down. Not one jot. Not our Arthur. And down there at the corner, just before he disappeared, he turned back to us. I was thinking he'd give us a wave. But he didn't. He blew us this huge kiss, all arm-waving with a big grin. And then he was gone. Christine sniffed and retreated, her voice becoming so matter-of-fact it sounded robotic. He sent us that photograph when he started his training. And eighteen months after that, our boy was dead. Some people from halfway around the world shot some missiles and burned him to death in his ship. She looked up at her grandchildren, who could only return silence. And that was that. She reached forward and took the photograph from Jack, gave it a joyless half-smile and put it onto the table. My mum used to tell me that our children were how we could all live forever. She said, even after you're long gone and everyone's forgotten you, you'll still be there, carried in their bones. The lessons you taught them carried in their hearts. She looked straight up at Liz, a horrible resignation in her voice. How can you call yourself a parent if you don't keep your child safe? Your mother is much better without me, much safer and much happier. Liz realised she'd put her hands protectively on her belly. She's not happier, Nan. She loves you and she wants... I got her brother killed, Elizabeth, Christine snapped. The words, 
words she'd probably never said out loud before, brought a terrible reality with them. Christine's voice broke as she tried to force out one last thought before she lost the nerve. He's dead because of what I did. I don't deserve her love. Nan, Liz started, but didn't know how to carry on. It was Jack who spoke. If you ask me, love isn't about what you deserve. It's about what your heart can't bear to live without. You're a mum. He shrugged. You never stop needing your mum. There was an empty silence after that. A car went past in the lane, leaving only the winter quiet in its wake. Liz lowered herself onto the sofa. Jack picked up the photo of Arthur's Navy class again and traced his finger over the pencil marks in the border. Do you mind if I... he said, already prizing the back off the photo frame. He liberated the photograph and turned it over in his hands. Oh, Nan, he sighed. You know where this was taken, right? Christine wiped at her face with her sleeve and nodded. It was during his Navy training. Uh, Rally. HMS Rally. Yep, said Jack, holding up the photo. These are all the people he trained with. He's written the names of the three units on the back. Texel. Links, and with a big circle round it, he turned the photo round to show them. Nightingale. I'd forgotten, Christine said quietly. There are no nightingales out in the wood, Nan, Jack said, laying the photo down next to her and tapping it. They're all right here, and I promise you they don't mind if you see your daughter. Liz tried to sit upright, didn't quite make it, and said, I think I'm going to have to... She broke off into a strange groan. You're all right, dear? Christine asked, sitting forward in her chair. Jack, get me up, Liz said, and took his hand as she hauled herself to her feet. As soon as she did, pain creased her forwards again. Ow, piss it, she cursed. What's wrong? Jack asked, supporting his sister's shoulders. Is it your parasite? Jack, I swear to God, is it your time, love? Christine asked. Liz shook her head. I'm two months off. Ow, fudge, it hurts. You're pregnant, Jack told her. You're allowed to swear, even in front of your grandmother. You should get to the doctor. Christine cut in. I used to get terrible cramps when I was carrying your mother. Never anything serious, but always better safe than sorry. Yes, all right, Liz said, allowing Jack to help her towards the front door. Then, out of nowhere, she added, Come with us, Nan. Jack's bedside manner is appalling. Depends on the bed, Jack said, quiet enough that Christine wouldn't hear. He stuffed his sister's arms into her coat. Christine was still sat in her chair, gripping her blanket as if she was about to throw it off, but not quite doing it. 
Nan, Liz said, pulling away from Jack's hapless efforts and doing her coat up. You can't make your children's choices for them. You can just be there to help them deal with the consequences. Jack took Liz's arms as she groaned again with another twinge in her belly. But we have to go now, she said. She didn't reach for the door latch. Christine looked at the blanket in her lap, then at the mantelpiece, then over to the back door. A strange thought process was taking place that had remained a complete mystery to her grandchildren. She pushed herself to her feet and flung her blanket to the floor. You know what, she said. Fudge it, as you kids would say. Let's go. Jack put his hands to his head. No, 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 Nan, the the kids really wouldn't say that. Liz jabbed him. But, you know, great, let's go. Liz had reached Jack's car by the time Christine emerged from the house in her sheepskin car coat, neatly buttoned. Sorry, my fingers aren't as nimble as they used to be, she said. Takes a while to do up coats and trousers and things. Jack rolled his eyes. Nan, do you think you should change out of your slippers? Oh, heavens, Christine replied. Stupid old woman. I'll just be a moment. She padded back into the house. Jack, Liz was calling from over by the car. What are you doing? Just, we just need a minute. Jack hurried down the path, waved his key fob towards his car to unlock it and hurried back to the house. Liz cursed and hauled herself into the passenger seat. There we go, Christine said, coming out of the house and locking the door. Nan, what are those? Jack asked, staring at the Wellington boots his grandmother had pulled on. We're not getting to the hospital over the fens. Well, I don't have any comfortable going out shoes, she said. I wear these for gardening. They're very warm. They've got a a fleece lining. Yes, sure, let's just go, Jack said, taking Christine's arm and helping her down the path somewhat faster than her natural pace. Evans, what's that? Christine said, pointing at Jack's car. It's my car, Nan, Jack said, pulling the driver's seat forward to allow her access to the back seat. You've seen it ten or twelve times. It looks like a toy. Christine said. Where's the back door? Jack sucked his teeth in frustration. It's only three door, Nan. Just climb through here. Christine attempted this. Oh, hello, dear, she said cheerfully to Liz as her head entered the car. This is all very exciting, isn't it? Liz gave her a weak smile. Glad you're here, Nan, she said. Why are there so many lights on the dashboard? Christine said as Jack climbed into the driver's seat. It's like a spaceship. Oh, have you telephoned your husband? Not my husband yet, Nan, Liz replied. I'm working on it. I'll give Paul a call as soon as we're somewhere with better reception. But, oh, Christine said, pointing at Liz's bump. You young people make things so complicated, don't you? Jack swung the car around and headed back up to the lane. 
Yep, she is bulbous living proof of shameful sex before marriage. Liz slapped his arm. Christine then slapped his arm. You can't talk, she chided her grandson. At least she's got someone. Where's your girlfriend then? Liz let out a pained cackle. You know what, Nan, Jack said, taking a big breath. I'm gay. I like men. I have a boyfriend, well, sort of. Liz looked at her brother, unsure whether she was about to laugh or burst into tears. In the back of the car, Christine sat back in her seat. Well, it's about time you told me about that, she said. Really, so secretive, these whoopsies. Nan! Liz protested on Jack's behalf, but another twinge made her gasp. Christine held her shoulder. It'll be all right, love, she said. Hold your nan's hand. There we go. It'll all be all right. The car sped away down the lane, brake lights glowing as it took the corner at the end and disappeared out of sight. The garden returned to its winter quiet, silent apart from the gentle breath of wind through the orchard and the twittering of the chaffinches and robins squabbling over the bird feeder. This dream wasn't like the last one. It didn't bring me fear and repulsion. It brought me joy. And it brought me hope. I don't know any of the players in these dreams. Yet something feels familiar. Like a childhood home long since passed into new hands. Perhaps it was simply that feeling of togetherness. A moment of family and connection. How I miss it. What's that? Do you hear that? All those whispers drowned by a rising tide. The darkness is tightening. Joy and hope, they are not welcome in this place. Something new is coming, something dark and painful. I see a man, alone in a crowd, pushing at a door that should never be opened. A house of black stone. The house, the house will consume him. The sleep is nearly upon me. The story, I will tell you when I wake. Dark Figments was written and performed by James Farwood. Recorded and produced by Onward Studios. Follow the show and get advert-free extended editions of every episode at jamesfarwood.com. Stay in the loop by following me on social media at jamesfarwood.com social.